Um, so this reading's from uh, 2 Kings, um, chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest and make him get ready for the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, from which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Make them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and make these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also make them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money they entrusted to them, because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who, re who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read, it from it, read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, uh, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that bears against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to speak to the, product, uh, to the prophet uh, Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Hahas, keeper of the wardrobe. <laughs> he lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, he sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you have heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. Nice one. Didn't she do well? Nice juicy names. I wish I could read like that with a moment's <laughs> notice. I was about to say, I'm going to give it to my daughter, not well me. Well done. Yeah, okay. This is just paper jars then. Uh, great. You know, we normally at this time we sort of pray for um, um, the person who's speaking just to, I don't know, speak clearly and things like that. I just want you to want to pray blessings upon Giles 
And I really want to pray, Father, as he gives out to us, that you'd pour into his life uh, a, a double anointing of your Holy Spirit. That you'd um, just bless him and his family. Uh, pour out your Holy Spirit, Father. Come and anoint him and bless him. Amen. Amen. What a great prayer. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Naomi. That's great. Morning. What a privilege to run a church like this and to lead a group of people like this. You are great people. You really are. And welcome. Those of you who are just joining us as visitors or have not been with us long, they're a great bunch. They really are. And if you have been here for a while, you might have been following this series that we're on of going through the book of Deuteronomy. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a canter. Um, I gave uh, Clive, remember last week, three chapters to get through but um actually i could have summarized his his sermon in, in in you know three chapter headings actually and it's the same kind of message overall that i'm going to give you today but you might be wondering okay Josh, you've got chapters 20 12 to 14 of deuteronomy why have you given naomi um two kings 22 as a chapter to read it's a bit off piste Absolutely not, because that story there that you just get half of the story, and I'll tell you the other half in a second, that story is the story of the king, Josiah, finding the book of the law. And in almost certainly, the book that he would have been reading from and has found would be Deuteronomy. All the scholars think it was Deuteronomy because the things he then did stack up with chapters 12 to 14, exactly. So he was given the same material that we've been reading over the last few chapters, and he led his country into a massive turnaround, a repentance, and completely changed the course of the history of his reign. So we're going to look at this story today. Now, um, I'm going to dodge about a bit. Um, I've got my notes here. I wrote them on the train back from London yesterday. So, you know, you, it might not be as polished as normal, but it will be fun. Because basically, as um, I went down to London for Naomi's uh, 40, uh, to celebrate her 40th birthday. Um, I know it's hard to believe, but that is true. Uh, we went to see Les Miserables, which... If you know the storyline, is perfectly fitting for this sermon. And wherever I went, it was, it was repentance or turning or God's love. It was, wherever I went, it was like God was speaking a sermon to me. So I hope I'm going to do God justice this morning. So we're going to start with just going a whistle-stop tour through that chapter again. We get Josiah. He's eight years old when he comes to the throne. That's no age, is it? You know, the age of our little kids downstairs. What did he know? Well, most likely, he would have been raised up in the world of his dad. And who was his dad? Well, his dad was a rotter. Because <laughs> if, if we just look at the background history of the kings that had come before him, we get Hezekiah. He's a good guy. He went to the top of the mountains. You remember the places, the Asherah poles and the... Uh, offerings to Baal and he destroyed the temples and he destroyed the high places he got rid of all that 
great. But the next king, Manasseh, reinstated them all again. And he took all his people back to where they'd been before. Remember, this is the people of God. This is Israel. And there they are, turning to Asherah poles and to Baal. Amon, his dad, was evil like his father. And then comes Josiah. It's interesting, isn't it? There was a lot of names in there and a lot of names of mothers. I wonder, aged eight, who was the significant role for uh, role model for Josiah? Was it his mother that perhaps paved the way for him coming to back to the Lord? Well, perhaps. But isn't it interesting? It says he's like his father, David. He's in the line and lineage of David of the kings, of which most of kings is based upon, and Solomon, who, in state, um, who built and, and um, uh, got the temple up and running. And it's to David that he is kind of given um, his fatherhood. Interesting. So we pick up the story. Um, we, we know that Manasseh was absolutely evil not only did he rebuild the temp the altars on on the higher ground he worshipped stars in the temple in Jerusalem not the creator but the created things he he actually built altars to the stars he sacrificed his own son can you believe that as a king of Israel representing God is sacrificing his own son fortunately not Josiah and then he turned to divination, omens, mediums, spiritists. You get the idea. Not great. So, we, we pick up the story, verse 4 to 7. We've got Josiah. He is giving the money that was collected at the temple for rebuilding and improving the temple. So he's on to a good thing already. And I love the bit, I'm glad Sam's here, you know, no need to keep account for it. They're trustworthy fellas, note that. Um, unusual, but it's there, I'm sure there's a story there within the story. And then there's this lovely exchange between um, the uh, secretary, Hilda, uh, not Hilda, where are we, uh, secretary, Safan, and Hilkiah, the high priest. Hilkiah says, I found the book of the law. He knows what he's on about. He's the high priest after all. Safan, the secretary, goes back with this message to Josiah and goes on about the money, typical secretary, and forgets almost at the end, just says, oh, and by the way, I've got a book. Doesn't even mention the fact it's the book of the law because... Isn't it interesting how through generations we, we, we kind of stuck things, don't we, in our, in our lofts? And these things that are so important can just sort of hit the back pages and just not, and just not be seen as important. And then the next generation kind of think, oh, what's in here? I'll have a rummage. And suddenly you think, oh, this looks important. I wonder what this is all about. So it does seem odd that um, you know, th they're making a big thing of it. But Josiah, if he'd read this book, 
he would have found out that all the kings should have had a copy. Maybe he did have a copy and he just hadn't read it. But he clearly doesn't know what's on about. And so he asks, um, he asks Safam to read it for him. Now, he can read perfectly well himself. He was supposed to be, as a king, a teacher of the law. And he was supposed to make sure that the Levites went out into the whole country to teach the law to the people. So that the whole country would turn towards God. So, how does he respond? Well, we know how he responds, but I don't think he necessarily responds how many of our leaders would respond right now. If some of us had the nerve and the pos position and the power to go into some of the great leaders' rooms right now, around the world, just think of the leaders that we have in power around the world and the countries, what would those responses be? I know we have some Christian MPs. I know that they bring questions now and then. I know one question was brought recently about um, Christian matters in this land and the fact that um, certain um, uh, things are not allowed to be said and done in this land in God's name. And there's a little bit of a kind of a nod to our religious past, but it, but it, it tends to be more of a kind of, hmm, well, you know, it's just part of our heritage, but we've moved on now. I wonder how many of the leaders of companies or of, of um, parliaments around the world would really react in the way that Josiah did. Verse 19. Because, um, because of these words, I will inquire of the Lord what is written. Great is the Lord's anger because we have not obeyed. And he ripped. I mean, I was going to wear a naff shirt this morning and I was going to do this. So I'll save the, the, the agony. But he ripped. This is royal robes that he's wearing. He ripped them in two. And he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord heard him. And the Lord said this, because your heart was responsive, this is verse 19, and you humbled yourself, I heard you. And you will not see all the disasters that are going to come on your land. So there was ensuing disaster. Because Israel had turned away from God and um, un away from his protection, the Egyptians were coming up from the south. The Assyrians were joining with them. And in fact, poor Josiah actually met his, his death in one of these battles. And that wasn't all. The, the king that came after him, um, we had Jehoiakim and then Zedekiah. Zedekiah was carted off to Babylon with the entire nation. And that was the end of Judah and Israel as, as we knew it. So even his repentance wasn't enough, but God heard him and was willing to um, spare him 
the sight of the incoming disaster. Now, this is what Josiah did. He went out. He called all his elders together. He went and took, um, he called Jerusalem and Judah, not just the capital, but the nation, the priests and the prophets, the least to the greatest. And he called them together and he read all the words of the book of the covenant. He renewed the covenant, as the covenant says that he should do. And he, 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 it says to follow the Lord and keep his commands with all his heart and with all his soul. That is what Josiah did. He burned the Asherah poles. He did away with the idolatrous priests. Wait for it. He tore down the site of male shrine prostitutes in the temple. This is in the temple. Thank you, Sus, for your reading about how holy that temple was and how it housed the very presence of God and how they had thought, can you believe it? They stick a zone, I mean, I presume for not only just for activity, but for the dressing and the washing, they installed male shrine prostitutes. Come on now. He tore it down. He got rid from the outer courts and the entrance some wooden horses and chariots that had been dedicated to the sun. Not the son of God, but the son created by God. He burned them. Now, there are only three records of any king or any leader in Israel doing exactly what it says in chapters 12 to 14 in re renewing the covenant. It should have been taught every, every, every Sabbath and, and done every year in terms of the Passover and read through every seven years. And yet... This is the record we have on the next chart. Joshua did it when they entered the land. Joshua 8, verse 30. 500 years later, it's recorded. Now, it may have happened over that period and it's just not recorded, but the fact that it is recorded says that it was significant, which means it probably wasn't very often. 2 Chronicles 17, verse 7, Jehoshaphat did it. 250 years later, roughly, I'm, I'm sort of summing up some, to get some neat numbers, Josiah <laughs> does it, well actually, uh, don't laugh, 500, 250, yeah, and then the last one is, is rounding it up a bit. But it's actually in the, in, in the notes. 2 Kings 22 verse 11, Josiah, as we've just read, does it. It's then 500 years or thereabouts till Jesus comes. Now, Jesus, if you now think about what Jesus did, what did he do that's along the lines of what Messiah did? He celebrates the Passover, doesn't he? He, he ties the cord of three strands and whips the moneylenders that are in the outer courts of the temple. This is a house of prayer. He turns out the inside of the temple and gets it ready for renewal again. 
he goes out into all Jerusalem and Judea and Israel and goes around teaching them. Yeah, he does what should have always been done. And yet we've had all this waiting. And don't you just love the fact that there's a, a J-O or a J-E at the beginning of all that? Now, is that a coincidence? I think not. Okay? Because it's either uh, Jeho, short part of Jehovah, okay, or Yeshua, um, and it's basically God. Yeah? Joshua, God's God Josiah, God heals. Jesus, the juice and lot. God saves. It's the, the, the more modern version of, of uh, Joshua. Isn't that amazing? Now, just backtracking a bit, back to Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. There's some verses that just popped out at me. And this is all coming back on the train. It's amazing what you can do in first class, isn't it? Don't it? It's brilliant. Will, <laughs> will God really dwell on earth, was the question that Solomon had as he got the temple ready. Will God really dwell on earth? The answer to that, of course, was, my name shall be there. When you're defeated due to your sin, turn to me. When your harvest fails to grow, turn to me. When there's famine in the land, turn to me. When there's drought, turn to me and I will forgive you. I will hear you and forgive you. Now that's Solomon as he's dedicating the temple. And of course, Solomon is responding to what we have heard or what we would have heard if I'd had time to go into um, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Because Five times the Israelites were told as they were going into the land, seek the place your God will choose to put his name there for his dwelling. Now, where did he choose to put his name for his dwelling? Primarily, it was Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. But since Jesus has done away with the need for priestly worship. Since Jesus caused the temple curtains to be torn in two, where is his presence and his name now? Turn to the person next to you. Where has he chosen? And all God's people said? Amen. No, they didn't. I want the, I want the answer. Oh, this is not liturgy. Where did God choose to place his presence? This is the new temple. This is the new temple. Personally and corporately, he has chosen us. So, 
what must we do with this temple? I'm just working out, is this a rhetorical question or not? <laughs> we've, got to put the, we've got to put him first, and we've got to prepare ourselves to host the presence, haven't we? Now, I was having a little theological debate with someone earlier in the week. You know, what comes first? Does God's spirit come and, you know, and does that drive out the dross? Like fire? Or does, do, do we make space for him in our life and then his spirit come? Well, I think if you look through the scriptures, you see both at play. But there's, there's an order. When John the Baptist came, he came before Jesus to prepare the way in the wilderness to say that their kingdom is coming, that the Lamb of God is coming. And what did he do? He baptised and he lived a life of repentance. He lived a life that was frugal like one without the bridegroom. He, you know, the way he dressed and all of that. He was a scary individual. And he shouted this, Repent! For the kingdom of God has come near! Told you it was scary. And he used the words of Isaiah 40 verse 3. Prepare the way of the Lord! Make straight paths for him. And then he baptised people. What does baptise mean? Well, it was a baptism of repentance, but it's a washing. It's a cleaning up of people's acts. Preparing the way. And what does Jesus do when he comes? He baptises. But what did he baptise with? He baptises with fire representing his presence, his spirit. So, repentance first, spirit second. But, as I said, the spirit also, the fire also purifies, just like it does with silver and gold. I hope, I'm sorry, I'm hopelessly uh, off the order of the PowerPoint, but could you just put the one up that says first? So here's a personal challenge for you. Could you put God first? Now, I'm speaking mainly to believers, I presume, who've chosen to be here first, rather than doing whatever else you might do. But I'm going to ask you now, do you put God first? And I'm borrowing this from J. John. First in your finances. First in your interests, whatever, you know, fun stuff you like doing. First in your relationships. First in your schedule. First when it comes to times of troubles. And it's interesting that that one comes last. Often that is the hardest time when we choose to talk to turn to God. 
because we're now in a time of Lent and we're in a time which is part of the church's calendar for preparation for Easter. But this is not just a kind of going through the motions. This is a time, I believe, and others believe, and, and prophecies that I've been receiving suggest that we, as a body, and it's, you know, it's a shame we're not all in one place at one time, but we, as a body, have an opportunity to repent. Now, we do that every Sunday, don't we? But looking around our nation, as I do, seeing on the screens what I see, how is there going to be any change if we don't first start with ourselves? How is there going to be any change if we're not confident in what God says to us so that we can then talk to others and teach others about what God says to us? I think we find that hard in this day and age, in this climate. But that is exactly what Josiah did. In a, he was countercultural. Yes, he had the power of a king but it still went completely against two generations. Now, this is the sort of thing I'm talking about, what we're up against. Just a couple of things I saw when I was in London that prompted me. First picture. Where is our nation going right now? Past this very plush self-help place. Oh, it looked inviting. Come in and we will... Massage every part of your mind. You can come to us. If you're not feeling great and you need to be calm and restore and optimise your mind, why not try flotation tanks, cryotherapy, Pandora life therapy, nutrition and night diabetics, acupuncture, Japanese integrated medicine, meditation and yoga, CB. I think that should be CBT, massage therapy, mindset and well-being coaching. I mean, I won't even go into the right-hand side because it's utter mumbo-jumbo. Apologies if any of you are in that industry. <laughs> but do you know what happened when I walked around the next corner? This is what I was confronted with. Love it. Turn. Love modern art. Turn. And do you know where that was? It was just on the corner, and there's a little tiny wooden plaque. I happened across it. Totally God moment. It's on the street corner where Charles and John Wesley first sensed God's spirit enter their being in um, what was the address now? Um, St. Aldgate's, St. Aldersgate Street. Isn't that amazing? They turned, and a nation turned with them. So, I need to wrap up. There's so much more I, I want to say and I think I can wait till next week.
but I want us to be reminded, we're going to come in an act of repentance in a second, individually, with our own thoughts, but corporately also. And I'm just going to ask Ange to come and lead that, if you just come out, Ange. But I'm just going to leave three verses up at the end on the final slide to remind us. Ange came in this morning and said, oh, I read Psalm 51 uh, this morning. Well, as it happened, so had I. There are three verses up there that remind us that the Lamb of God, Jesus, came to take away the sin of the world. And a heart that turns, otherwise known as a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to hand over to Anne and she'll lead us in repentance. Uh, I was just reading Psalm 51 this morning because uh, I am praying about Easter and what we're doing at Easter. And for me personally, it's a bit of a journey. And I'm thinking about myself and what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, uh, and how I'm behaving. And it's been a bit of a, an awakening, really. And I just get the sense that God wants us to go deeper with him. He wants us to go deeper with him, our relationship to go deeper with him. And also, I think he wants us to get deeper in relationship with each other, with each other, you know, so we can be a band of brothers and sisters. And last week, I was really touched by Tamsin's song, for those of you who were here last week when she sang, um, about I surrender. And uh, I'll be honest, it cut me up. It absolutely cut me up, because I thought... Um, to say I started thinking about sin sounds right heavy and holy and I'm not um, there are no degrees of sin I have not murdered but I have committed sinful acts and I have thought sinful things and God has really spoken to me about my speech how I behave, my attitudes towards other people, God is wanting us to go deeper and for that it means an incredible amount of honesty with ourselves and with each other and that is uh, not a comfortable place, um, but an honest place. We are before a holy God. We are before a holy God. And I know this is, hard, uh, this is heavy. And I'm sorry if it seems heavy, but I'm not in a way because it's about seeing God as he is and seeing us as we are. There are no degrees of sin, and I've thought about my attitudes towards other people. And sin is attractive. The world is attractive. Temptation is temptation because it's got a real hard pull on us. You wouldn't want to do it if there wasn't a pull. If, you know, and the glossy things of this world are glossy. They are attractive. Um, it's about being honest you know, with ourselves. I'd like to think I was like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every possible way. But I know I'm not, my speech isn't. I know about unforgiveness, and God has been teaching me um, for a number of years about forgiveness. I've found that a long, hard journey. But Jesus died on the cross to express his love for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. So it's about going deeper with him,
And it's about going deeper in our relationships with others, about preferring others, watching our attitudes to others, how we care for others, having the heart of Jesus in compassion to others. And in that Psalm 17 was the one that spoke first to me this morning, a broken and contract heart you will not despise. But I want to finish with this. Verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I am forgiven. There's an incredible power in forgiveness. I know that in my life it's freed me up and I'm working on knowing that I am forgiven. Forgiven by a heavenly father because he gave his son for me. So wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So living with shame and guilt, you will be whiter than snow. Living with guilt and shame, you will be whiter than snow. Do you hear me? I'm saying it to myself as well, as everybody else. You know, and uh, we sang that song, Source, Faultless I Stand Before the Throne. Faultless I Stand Before the Throne. So we're starting today with thinking about this. You don't have to do this today if this is a journey for you. I respect that and your decision. Let this be a journey, but let you get to the end of the journey. And I pray that you do. I've got materials on here and in an act of contrition and an act of love in follow, wanting to follow deeper, deeper and in an act of uh, obedience of wanting our lives to be right before, before God. I've just got some bits of black materials, things that have been torn up or cut up because of modern materials, couldn't, cut up, couldn't tear them like the clothes. But just come and tie bits on this cross. And this will be around for a while, so during uh, Lent, leading up to Easter. You don't have to do it today. When you do do it, you might want to do it over and over again as an act of worship, as an act of surrender. It is entirely up to you. But if we can just pray and just let our hearts settle. Think about it. Let, it just, let the Holy Spirit just speak to you. And just rest with him for a moment. And then just come if you want to do it today. If you don't, fine. That is absolutely fine. But if you do, while Sissy sings, um, you can start putting stuff on the cross. And then the fragrance of forgiveness will wash over us. Thanks, Anne. So as Sus is just lead us in a song, then um, this is a space for you to respond to in the way that Anne just suggested. Um, also, if you, uh, anything you want prayer for, you'd like someone to stand with you and just pray with you about anything, whether that's um, a physical thing or a spiritual thing, emotional thing, then um, just uh, welcome to come up here and have a word of me and we've got a ministry team who can pray with you. So um, over to you, Sus.